Christ, high priestly prayer is what John 17 is all about. And as we read earlier in the Heidelberg Catechism, besides being our prophet and our king, he is our only high priest who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and ever lives to make intercession for us with the Father. And that intercession began, of course, on earth in his sacrifice in our behalf, but continues in his intercession, that is, in his heavenly prayer for us at the Father's right hand. So he's continuing to pray in heaven for his people and to receive prayer from his people, which he then, through his work, purges of any impurity and presents to the ears of our Father that are as sweet-smelling fragrance to his nostrils. Christ prayed for himself, as we first noted in the first five verses. And then he prays for his immediate disciples with him in the upper room in verses 6 through 19. And might I add that in his praying for his disciples, such as in his praying for Peter, uh, it is effectual. For example, if you turn to Luke 22, 31 through 34, Luke 22, 31 to 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. That sin of departing from God is, is the one sin that I fear the most as a believer. And as David, I would pray, Lord, keep that, back thy servant from presumptuous sin. I, and I'm sure all of you, in some way, can put yourselves in the shoe, shoes of Simon or Peter. And how we may be easily tempted by the evil one. Look at how Christ prayed for him. And think how Christ continually prays for us. In fact, Peter goes on to become a pillar of the early church. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, even the Son of Man, availeth much. Now, for whom does our Lord Jesus pray now in our remaining verses John 17. For all believers worldwide to the end of time, all would one day come to faith in Christ themselves, such as you and I. He said in verse 20, neither pray I for these alone, namely the 13 apostles. By the way, Judas was not present 
in the upper room at this point when he prayed this prayer or when he prayed it, if it was there or if it was elsewhere, such as in the garden. I'm not sure. But 13 apostles, because later on, Joseph and Matthias would be added to the apostolic band who would replace Judas. So neither pray I for these alone, these 13, and perhaps their immediate disciples, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word, through their testimony, through their witness, through their preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, that would include you and I, who are true believers in Christ. In Ephesians 4.10, we see the fruit of their labors and the fulfillment of, again, the prayer of our Lord. Ephesians 4, 10 through 13. Ephesians 4, 10 through 13. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so his prayer was being answered and is being answered to this very present moment. For what does our Lord Jesus pray for, for us? The unity of God's people. You saw that in verse 20. Heidi, he didn't pray for the 13 and their disciples alone, but for all who would believe on him through their word or witness. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. And that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. 22. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. 23. I am them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me. And has loved them as thou hast loved me. Actually, this has been fulfilled in that if you are in Christ, and I am in Christ, and others out there are in Christ, there is a genuine unity between us by virtue of our union with Christ. Because salvation is our being joined to God through Jesus Christ, our union and communion with the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 13, I'll read it to you, for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, the body of Christ, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. And if you are born again, and I am born again, there's a genuine unity between us by virtue of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now look up John 14, 16 through 20. John 14, go back a few pages in the Bible. 
verse 16 and follow. 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, another advocate, another one to come alongside you. Only the difference will be, and I, I know I'm adding this, that he will dwell in you, as we will see more. That he may abide with you forever, live with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Whoa. That's going a step further, is it not? I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you, by the Holy Spirit. So, we have this genuine unity amongst ourselves by virtue of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The world does not see God. The world does not know God. But Christ prayed in verses 21 and 23 that the world may believe and know that thou hast sent me. Now that's because he has his people that are out there in the world. Now understand that some words like the world, the word for world, cosmos, may be used in different ways, even within the very same passage such as what is before us now. So we need to understand how the Lord uses liberty in that way. So when he prays, when he says that I pray not for the world, he's speaking about the unbelieving world. But when he says that the world may know or that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, that's a reference to the world at large, indiscriminate of any one class, such as the ungodly only. Christ prayed that those who believe in him would have unity that unbelievers could see. Sadly, we've not been that, have we? For they can't see the Father. They can't see Jesus Christ. They certainly cannot see the Holy Spirit, but they see us. It's a unity that I describe as the already and the not yet. Like I've already said, it is already a reality, this, this unity, by virtue of our connection with the one whose body we are, and the Holy Spirit, who indwells us, his people, because of Christ in us. In that regard, the hope of glory. But it's not yet this unity, because we are not yet in heaven where we will enjoy perfect unity in the presence of God. But also not yet because the church is a work in progress. For did he not say in verse 23, I and them and thou and me that they be, may be made perfect in one. We're a work in progress. Nevertheless, it is a unity based upon love. Verse 23, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Our Lord said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another 
as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one to another. One of the most destructive things to our testimony as a church, and I'm speaking now individually and worldwide, is this lack of unity on several, if not many, levels. And granted, there are false churches. And granted that the true church, the remnant, is smaller than what it is. And even in sound churches, not all are believers indeed and in truth. At least we are led to believe that. And in time, uh, that is borne out in the case of those who leave the church and show that they were not of the church. For if they were of the church, they would not have left. And again, I'm speaking generally. So it's a unity based on love. Even the love of Christ who commands us to love one another. You know, when I was a new believer, one of the first songs that I sang, uh, that I learned, was one that uh, still uh, around, and, I'll, and I'll, I won't sing it to you, I'll spare you, but I will read it to you. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord, and we pray that our unity will one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love, and they will know that we are Christians by our love. All praise to the Father from whom all things come. All praise to Christ Jesus, his only Son. All praise to the Spirit who makes us one. And they will know that we are Christians by our love. By our love. They will know that we are Christians by our love. Christ wants the world to know this. He wants the world to see this. And through that, to know him. In first, I'm sorry, in Colossians 1.27, Colossians 1.27, I have you turn to it. It's a very significant verse here that is essential in the body of Christ. In verse 27, it says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See that? God would make known this. And that is this, which is ours, which is yours and mine, by faith in Jesus Christ. Whom we preach, warning every man, and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. I'll finish it. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. This is all God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's all playing in one direction. And that is that we are here to represent him, even to a world that rejects him. And that in large part, will never receive him. We are here as a testimony to God. For what else did our Lord Jesus pray for for us? Christ desired that not only would we be in him, but that we would be with him. And what teaches that? But verse 24, 
where he prays, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Jesus wants his people to be with him in heaven. If he, that is Christ, wants, if we want, I should say, to be with the Lord in heaven one day, how much more does Christ want us to be with him in heaven one day? And especially when we look at this world and we see that this is not a place for us to homestead. Tent, yes, like Abraham, right, and, and our forefathers, but to live here, we have a celestial home awaiting us, a heavenly city awaiting us, and that's where we're headed. Last week I met a gal by the name of Lisa, whose husband, Mark, was a corrections officer who admired my hat, this is not my hat, this is for someone else, and my shirt, because I stood there in front of the CVS waiting for someone. And when she returned, she thanked me for being a witness for Christ. Well, I was thankful to God that I could encourage her, but also that she could encourage me, because she did. She did. It was a long day, a long day that day. But then she told me how she longed to be with Christ, and that struck me, because I don't, at least at that point, I wasn't thinking about that. And as I am preparing for the Lord's Day, it began to dawn on me, you know what? This is where my mind should be at. This is what I should spend part of my time, part of my meditation, part of my time in the Word and prayer thinking about being with the Lord. Now we know that it's all up to His timing. It's, it's all on His agenda and not ours, but nevertheless, be with the Lord. For we walk by faith and not sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. For what else did our Lord Jesus pray for, for us? That we would behold his glory. It says in verse 24, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. There were moments in Christ's earthly ministry when his glory would peek out from behind the cloud of his humanity, as it were. Like, for example, in Matthew 17, 1 through 8. <clears throat> Matthew 17, I'll read to you. Read with me as well. 1 through 8. The account of what's called the transfiguration of our Lord. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter and James and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, Elijah, talking with him, then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. 
If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus alone. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. His face shined like the sun. His clothes were like light, bright, like the linen of the robes of the saints one day in glory will shine. And later, John, who was one of the three of the inner circle, as they are called, the three, uh, James and John and Peter, Simon, said in his gospel, and the, world, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He could say that because he, he saw that. And yet, and yet, there is but an ever so, this is but an ever so brief foretaste of the glory to come. For example, as it is said in the Old and New Testaments, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath before prepared for them. You haven't seen anything yet. And one day we will all see the King of Kings in all of his glory and majesty before us. However, I might add this, and I have to because the scriptures teach this, because in that same scripture, which I quoted to you, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, I have not seen nor ear heard neither enter in the heart of men the things which God has before prepared for them that love him. There's a verse that follows that, verse 10, and I'll just read it to you from my notes, because it is in the context. It forbids me to isolate this truth as if it is the only truth, that is, that it is only them that we will see God's glory. Because like the disciples who had a peak at God's glory, and even Moses who had a peak at the backside of God, as it were. <clears throat> Between now, as we live in this present life, until it ends and glory begins, God reveals to us, as it says in verse 10, by his Spirit, deep things of God, the deep things of God. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. And so God is revealing his glory now in his people. As we take time, as we make a diligent search of those things ourselves in the scriptures, in meditation and in prayer, in seeking to let iron sharpen iron in our conversations, and not just over uh, the things of this life, but the things that are of God, 
that we may know those things that are of God. The things that are revealed to us by His Spirit. As Paul would say, but we all with open face, beholding in the glass, that's mirror, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same glory, from glory to, into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. For what else did our Lord Jesus pray for for us? Fourthly, that we may know that we are loved by the Father. In verse 25 and 26, which are the conclusion of this glorious prayer of our Lord. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Christians are called to suffer with Christ if they are to share his glory. Paul said, for example, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. But in order to be faithful followers and disciples of Christ in this world, we need to know and experience the arms of our Heavenly Father around us and love God in our hearts and how much we are loved by God. You cannot not have that and go on. As David says when he said, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none on earth that I desire beside thee. Though my flesh and my heart fails, yet God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We need to have that sense of the presence of God and the love of God and of Christ surrounding us and endued in us so that we may in his strength go on living for him. Knowing that this will give us the strength to endure all things whatever Satan or the world may choose to throw at us and to fulfill the mission that he has given to us that we have been called to. As the Apostle Paul would say at the end of his life, and I know this is a stretch to compare ourselves to him, but, but yet we are inclusive of his witness and testimony when he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And this is where we come in, and not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. Why would they love his appearing? Because they love him. And the reason why we love him is because he first loved. So how about you? What will it be? Choose it this day whom we will serve. Paul says toward the end of his ministry, as what I also read 
previously recorded. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. So in conclusion, his prayer ministry, as is evident in this chapter of John, John 17, continues in heaven at the Father's right hand. And here we have a, a precious and excellent example of the quality and of the content and the comprehensiveness of what he is praying for us in glory. May the Lord give you wisdom to meditate on these things and to benefit thereof, shall we pray. Father, we are thankful for your son's high priestly prayer and do ask that we may even glean um, some or even a little of what is before us. As the Puritans would say that even uh, the children could suck on the meat and benefit in that way. Oh Lord, we are all like babes in knowledge and in faith. Help us to this end that, that we would grow closer to your image and grow closer to you. In Christ's name.